0: Greetings in Jesus' name. I'm Bishop Chester Wright, and this is the video teaching series, Our Motives from God's Perspective. This is part three. This is lesson number five of part three. And uh, we just spent the last few lessons examining from uh, Romans chapter six, uh, uh, the elements and the description of a delivered life a life that has been delivered from sin, delivered unto God, uh, no longer the servant or slave of sin, but now the servant of God, subject to God. Uh, in part one of this video teaching series, we talked about our motives from God's perspective. We considered Paul's personal struggles before the second work of the cross in his life. In Romans chapter 7, which coincidentally follows chapter six and in chapter six, it talks about the, uh, the delivered life. But after Paul talked about uh, the delivered life in chapter six, he comes back chronologically in his own life and talks about the struggles he had, uh, coming up to the place that he talked about in Romans six. Uh, That's why in Romans 7, Paul indicates that the principles of the delivered life had not always characterized the practice of his personal life. Regardless of his teachings on the delivered life in Romans 6, Paul tells us in Romans 7 that there was a point in his life that he had not yet been able to live according to that revelation. And I've mentioned this before. I'm sure I'll mention it again God saved Saul, but everything we read was written by Paul. When did Saul stop being Paul? He was an apostle even as Saul. But somewhere, he was no longer called Saul. He was now called Paul. Why? Could that be an indication of when he truly went from the life of struggle to be a Christian the life of liberty and deliverance because he died out to his old self and was crucified with Christ. Why do I say that? Because the word Paul means literally in the Greek small or end. The root word is to come to an end, to be brought to the end. So somewhere in in Paul's growth in God, he went from being Saul to Paul. He came to the end of himself. And that's when his ministry took a completely new, went to a completely different dimension. That's when his, his, his everything he wrote happened after that. And so uh, we I, I want to look at, just to review and renew our understanding again of about what his struggles were, In the beginning of his walk with God, he struggled with his ability to overcome sin on a consistent basis. Uh, The fact, in fact, his frustrations with himself indicates that he had more inconsistencies than consistencies. So we have studied the delivered life. Let's read Paul's description of an undelivered life. And that's his own terminology, and we'll see that as we read. Romans chapter 3, verse 13. For when, for the time you were made, uh, for, for when, huh, let me read it again. I'm quoting something in my brain. Uh, was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid. But sin, that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good, that sin by, by the commandment might be become, might become exceeding sinful. Well, we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. That's why he was talking about in Romans chapter 6 that we were redeemed. We, we were set free from sin, uh, and that's what redemption is. Sin owned us. We are the slaves of sin. Even the most moral sin from God's perspective Because they live by their will and not his will. They're missing the mark. And the root word for this word sin, missing the mark, is portion or share. So a a person is a slave to sin when they're living by their own will, doing what they want to do, like they want to do it, when they want to do it. Because they're missing the mark of what it means to walk with God and him walk in us and live and work through us so that we can fulfill our place in him. And he will fulfill his place in and through us that he planned. Verse 14 again, For we know that the law is spiritual, for I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. What I hate... I find myself doing that which I hate. Yes. Yes. What I do, what I hate, I do, he said. Well, if he just tried harder. According to him, he tried the best he could. There was no way to try harder. For Verse 15, for that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate... That do I, if then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good because the law points out that I can't do what I'm supposed to do and what I say I want to do and that I do the stuff I don't want to do, but I do it. Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me, or the sinful nature. For I know that in me that is in my flesh there dwelleth, dwelleth no good thing. For to will... Is present with me without God's help. I can want to do right. My motive for wanting to do right, that's another question. But I can want to do right without God's help. For the will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. So by my will, I can want to do right and I can try to do right by my will, by my ability, by my flesh. I can want to do right, try to do right. But I can't do right because Doing the word of God is only possible by God doing it through me. Verse eighteen: For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing; for the will is present with me, but how to perform that which I would, that which I uh, is good, I find not. For the good that I would, I do not; but the evil which I would not, that I do. For the good that I would, I do not; but the evil which I would not. That I do. Well, a saved person never sins. What a lie. What kind of self-righteous person believes such stuff as that? A deceived one. That's right. For For the good that I would do, for the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. Now, if I do that, I would not it is no more I that do it but, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me for I delight in the law of God after the inward man I delight after the law of God in the in, uh, in the law of God after the inward man for I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin and death, to the law of sin which is in my members. And this brought Paul to the place that every one of us needs to be brought to. It It brought him to the place of acknowledging what the problem was. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who shall, who, not what, not how, not how shall I be delivered, not what do i have to do to be delivered but who shall deliver me from the body of this death who i thank god through jesus christ my lord so then with the mind here's here's a conclusion he he came to in his place of frustration before deliverance with I thank God as delivered through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. But the flesh lusts against the spirit, spirit against the flesh. These are contrary to one or the other so that you cannot do the things you would. How do I get free from the one so I can do the other? Well, I can get free from God simply by continuing to live by my will and I will become more and more deceived. And I'll eventually be deluded, and once I'm in delusion, there's no way out. Or if I want to be free from sin and I want to be a part of God, I have to be willing to be brought to the end of myself and acknowledge, without you, I can do nothing. And to allow his spirit, his love, the grace of God working in us to bring us to that place. Paul's statement in verse 25 appears to be his assessment of his pre-crucifixion spiritual lifestyle. And it was. It is obvious that he had come to the end of his hope of ever being able to live a life pleasing to God through his own will and efforts. He tried. He tried hard. He was Paul. He was Saul. Uh, By his own testimony, He was the standard of zealousness for the law. All the while, he wasn't perfectly keeping the law because he acknowledged he couldn't keep the law. And then after he was saved, he had to come to the confrontation uh, of himself with himself that he couldn't do this. He can't do it. And hear me, friend. I've said this before because God first said it to me, and I've said it many times. I'll keep on saying it. That we are at our most spiritual when we're ready to quit and give up. But the question is, is, who are we going to give up on? Give up on God or give up on our ability to do this ourselves rather than God doing it through us. That is so hard for pride. It is so hard for self. It is so hard for self sufficiency to come to that place. That's why God has to let us go through all these things. With we try hard, try hard. When I was growing up and you were struggling, you went to the pastor and he said, Well, uh, you need to you need to try harder and pray more. And then you went and tried harder, tried harder and prayed more, and you did, didn't get any better, and you go back and say, But brother, I'm trying harder and praying more, and I'm still struggling. And then he tells you, well, then you need to pray more and try harder. And it's just the vicious circle of the vortex that you get flushed down the commode with that sucks you down in the commode. The trying harder and praying more to bless my trying harder. He's not going to bless your trying harder. He wants you to come to the end of yourself. You want to try hard? You're on your own. I've been there, done that. You want to try hard? You're on your own. In a few weeks, I will have had the Holy Ghost 52 years. No. (laughs) 62 years. 62 years. And trust me, he has been doggedly determined to never ever let me succeed doing it myself well the lord doesn't treat me that way then i'm sorry he loves me more than you then oh but that's not true is it god loves us all the same so the question then are you Letting him do that, or are you praying off of you everything he's allowed to come to try to get your attention and prove to you that you can't do this yourself? Which is it? Which is it? <laughs> Which is it? Because he loves us all the same. So what happens when he's dealing with us and allowing circumstances to get our attention? What happens? Well, I'll tell you what happens. We either submit to it and learn what he's teaching us or we resent what he's put us through and we use his own word against him in the sense that we pray for our will. Well, God's never going to give you what you will. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he will. You can convince God that you're going to use his promise to answer your prayers against you and give you what you want. Isn't that amazing? It's so amazing that people learn to pray, to rest, to wrestle away from God. What is not His will for us to have because we want it so badly. And then when things turn out bad, who do we blame? Huh? Who do we blame? We blame God. We don't take the blame ourselves. He was saying, no, 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 no. And we're saying, yes, 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 yes. You're going to give me this. Your word says. Your word says. You're going to give this to me. Your word says. You're going to give this to me. So he finally says, okay. It's your will, not mine, but here you go. And things, things fall apart. Don't go like we expected him to. And it is his fault. It's his fault but it's not his fault. He gave you what you asked for with persistence and you didn't qualify either with your words or your heart. This is what I'm asking for. But if this is not your will, don't give it to me. This is what I'm asking for. But if it's not your will, don't give it to me. This is not what your plan and purpose is intended to be then bring me into alignment with your plan and purpose. Let me be at peace. I want to be at peace with you. I want to follow my peace so I can follow you. But that's not the case, is it? Paul obviously had to accept uh, that without a liver, who would free him from this inner conflict, serving God with a mind and serving Sin with the flesh is what he was bound to endure. Doesn't sound very enjoyable, does it? It may be life, but it is not life more abundantly. It's not life more abundantly. Yet Paul in Galatians 2.20 refers to a spiritual condition very different from and subsequent to the one he described in Romans 7. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. The life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. (laughs) I've asked this question before. I'll ask it again, I'm sure. I have a choice. I can live my life in him, which is what the way we live when we get saved, or I can... Die to me and he will live his life through me. Now, which one of those will I, will be better? Which one of those is by far the most desirable? My life is very limited compared to his life. Again, Jesus said, I came to bring life and that more abundantly. And, and so he came to bring life. I get that life when I am born again. That's what happens when you're born. You get life. There were life growing in the womb, but you get your own life when you come out of the womb. Now you're now you're born, you're a person, you're you're a living soul. But when I die to me through his cross by his spirit, by the grace of God, then he lives through me, and his life is abundant. Why wouldn't I want that? And then, and again, then he says. And the life which I now live, live, not some future day, but now, after I've been crucified with Christ, the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, I've studied this in a lot of different translations and different Greek scholars on whatever. I have two uh, uh, books on this iPad One's called the King James Version Greek Interlinear uh, New Testament, and one's called the New King, King James Greek Interlinear New Testament. And, and Interlinear has the Greek words, which I can't read or speak, and then it has the strong numbers, and then it has the meaning of those words directly under them. And then a lot of them will have the, the translation King James or New King James at the bottom of it. Now, the Greek word translated of and the Greek word translated by are not the same Greek word. And a lot of the translations, because the translators didn't understand what they were translating, they understood it, they understood the language, but it didn't make sense. And so they translated the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, not by the faith of the Son of God. By is the preposition of agency or instrumentality. And yes, I I have faith in the Son of God, but that's not what happens to me when I'm crucified with Christ. That's not what happens. And both the King James and the linear Greek New Testament and the new King James and the linear Greek New Testament, neither one of those has the Greek word for in, by faith in the Son of God. It is the preposition of, by the faith of the Son of God. Why, what's the big deal? The big deal is this. Of the Son of God, as is translated in the King James and other King James-based translations, or the Greek Texas receptus, which is the Greek text uh, uh, of the King James the received text, uh they say that the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the uh, by faith of the Son of God. Of the Son of God is a prepositional phrase of possession. It identifies whose faith it is. And so therefore, I could take the phrase and turn it in, turn the noun into its possessive form, and I've said exactly the same thing. But it's a little easier for us to for the point to be made. The life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the by the Son of God's faith. So, before being crucified with Christ, while I'm growing in grace and the knowledge of the Lord, Savior Jesus Christ, I am living by my faith. But after I'm crucified with Christ, the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by, I'm a conduit for, the son of God's faith in the earth. So, it's his life and his faith. How can I have his life without it being his faith? It's not his life and my faith. It's his life and his faith. Because I'm dead. I've been crucified with Christ. My will is surrendered. I am submitted. And this body is now obeying the commands of the spirit that I'm yielding to. That's the blessing. Again, In Galatians 2.20, Paul refers to a spiritual condition very different from and subsequent to the one he describes in Romans 7. Though some have tried, it is very difficult to successfully argue that Paul was not yet a Christian in his Romans 7 condition. It's not true. It's not true. I mean, chapter 7 comes after chapter 6, right? So, He is a Christian, a child of God, born of water and the spirit, but he's still dealing with having to understand how to walk not in the flesh, not in the flesh. I got to learn how to do that. Well, I can't learn how to not do that by trying. Oh, I try. I have to try. I have to try hard. Why? Because I have to fail when I'm trusting myself, the only one shocked at my failure is not God. He's not shocked at all when I fail. I've told this story many times. Uh, My wife and I raised two boys. She did most of the raising. And, And so when they were small, hadn't yet started walking with both of them, I would take them by the hand and hold them up and, kind of half drag them along a little bit so they get the idea of moving their foot because subconsciously, even if you've never walked, you, you, you your body will, your mind will tell your, you to put your foot out in front of you because you're going to fall. So you don't want to fall so you put your foot out in front of you. And, but with both of them, <laughs> and it's really true like this was been true like this with my grandchildren. You, you're holding them up and you're helping them kind of move along and They get impressed with themselves. Look how I'm doing. And then you get this number. And you go, you're thinking, kid, what is your problem here? You have no clue that you're not doing this? You have no clue that the only reason you're standing up right is because I'm holding you up as your father? And yeah, you're walking. But if I let go, you won't be walking. But, Watch, Dad. You know, they didn't say it at that age, but I heard that. I've heard that. (laughs) I heard that hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times, literally, in raising two sons that I love very much. They love me. But watch, Dad. Not do this for me, Dad, but watch me do this, Dad. I want, I want your approval. I want to earn your approval for me, Dad, for me doing this. I want you to praise me for doing this, Dad. Well, that may be okay naturally, (laughs) but it doesn't work spiritually. And so they're giving me this number. And so I'm thinking, okay, kid, that's what you want? Okay. You don't know that you're not being, you're not doing this yourself? You let go. And what happens? In a fraction of a second, wham, they fall down. And you know what they do? They turn to look up with you, look up at you with this look on your, on their face that says, what did you do? Because if they fell, it was obviously my fault, not them. Right. And that's the problem, isn't it? It is the problem. Because we won't watch, Dad. Watch. Watch how good I can keep your word through my will and my flesh. Dad, watch. I want to do right. I want to please you. Watch me please you, Dad. And then give me a praise and give me applause, Dad, because I did it for you, Dad. I did it for you to be pleased with me. I did it for you. No, 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 no. And even you pick them back up. It won't be long. You get that number. Okay, okay. We got to stop this because your mother's going to be upset with me because you may end up with a, a bruise if I let you go and you can't walk and fall down, right? So we're going to stop this. Huh. Paul described that condition of himself. He. His own description of his life matches exactly every other Christian's beginning experiences in desiring to but failing in or at living consistently according to the word of God. I I, I thank God for his honesty with himself and with us. I thank God for his honesty. I thank God that the Lord uh, included the whole lives of people and the re, the, the, all sides of the story with people. You know, David's faults and failures, Abraham's faults and failures. He lied that Sarah wasn't his wife to protect himself because apparently she was very beautiful. He was afraid the king was going to kill him to have her. So he told her, Tell him, tell him I'm your sister. Or you're my sister. Tell him you're my sister. Well, that's a lie. So that's in there. The faults and the failures of the most righteous are in there, all except one. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And even with him, it wasn't a sin, but we see him praying in the garden three times. Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. But he prayed, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. I'm so thankful for Paul and what the Holy Ghost had him right. Because Paul's transparency gives us all hope. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray that you and I will let the grace of God open our eyes and let us see the truth. Our struggles aren't because we're bad people. We're people. Our struggles aren't because we can't get it right. It's because we're human. We're flesh. We can't do the divine word of God through flesh. We need to keep the the forever settled word of God by the Spirit of God living that out through us as we submit to God and obey from the hearts that form of doctrine, teaching given to us. So it's taught us, and we know what's expected of us in here, but we can't do it ourselves. So being crucified with Christ, dying out to ourselves, he lives in there, his faith lives through us. He, being the Word made flesh, enables us to live by his Word. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I bless you and I receive the blessing of God with you in Jesus' name. Amen.